What is up, everyone? I'm Mario Fraioli, and I'm excited to bring you the third installment of Common Ground, a monthly podcast co-hosted by me and Danae Doremi of The Grounded Podcast. In this episode, we catch up on all things Boston Marathon. We talk a little bit about the new Red Hot Chili Peppers album, which we're both really digging right now. We look ahead to what's exciting us in the month of May and a lot more. As a quick reminder, Common Ground will be released monthly in both the Morning Shakeout and Grounded podcast feeds, so there's no need to subscribe to a separate show. If you have any questions that you'd like either or both of us to answer on an upcoming episode, or if you have feedback for us, just send us a message via social media at the AM Shakeout or at Grounded Pod on both Instagram and Twitter, or just shoot me an email at mario at themorningshakeout.com. Before we dive into this one, a big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're looking for a go-fast shoe for workouts and maybe even racing, look no further than the Fuel Cell Rebel V2. I absolutely love this shoe. It's lightweight, it's low to the ground, and it's incredibly lively. It is just so fun to run in. If I am doing a workout, I have this shoe on my feet. The Fuel Cell Rebel V2 is available in both men's and women's sizes on newbalance.com or at your local run specialty retail store. Check them out and give them a try today. This episode is also brought to you by Gooder, my favorite sunglasses for running, driving, walking the dog, and pretty much everything else that I do outside. Not only do they look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, they're super fun. I am personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are a Ginger Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. Gooders are also super affordable, with most pairs coming in at just 25 to 35 bucks a piece. So, if you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or two or maybe five of Gooders and head over to gooder.com slash Mario and use the code Mario15 to get 15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario and use the code M-A-R-I-O-1-5 to get 15% off your entire order. Your face will thank you. <laughs> Okay, please enjoy episode three of Common Ground with me and Danae Doremi. Hey Mario, I'm so excited to talk to you because we haven't talked in several weeks because you are a traveling man and you are all over the place <laughs> right now. Um, where are you? I am coming to you from... Worcester, Massachusetts, where I grew up. I am at my dad's house for one more day. As of this conversation, I fly to Houston, Texas tomorrow, which is Friday morning, uh, to be with Christine for her Ironman this weekend, which wow. by the time this gets posted will be this past weekend, but it yeah. has not happened yet. Uh, I am heading there tomorrow, and that will be the last leg of my trip, and I'll be home on Sunday night wrapping up a 10-day uh, tour of, oh, I shouldn't say the country, it really was just Massachusetts and Texas, but um, that's further than I've gone in quite some time. Yeah, is it nice to be home? I like that you have a different background today. You look like you're in a cozy place. <laughs> uh, I am in the basement. Uh, it is very cozy down here. I lived in this basement for four years after college. So oh, wow. I guess I'm returning to my, my old bedroom, uh, so to speak. But it is very cozy down here. It has been nice to be home. It's been great to spend some time with my dad, my brother, my sister. Um, and then obviously in Boston, the past five days with seemingly like, I don't want to say the entire running community, but there were so many people there. It was I know. crazy. I'm and so it was so excited much fun. to talk to you about it. 
Yeah. I we feel like I was tracking everyone. I know. I know. I saw you and Allie were hanging out. Um, there was a big, there's a big crew of a bunch of native runners that I am close with as well, or have been on my podcast mm-hmm. in the past that were competing. They're running for Wings of America. Uh, Verna Volker of Native Women Running was um, not only a bib holder for Wings of America, but she was also honored in that team of women that they announced on International Women's Day that would represent mm-hmm. kind of the the 50 year anniversary of women, you know, officially competing in the Boston Marathon. And so she was honored in that sense by the BAA. So I was seeing updates from all corners of my life in Boston, <laughs> and I was I had severe FOMO <laughs> like all all week, all weekend. <laughs> I mean, I was on the ground and it was hard to keep up with. There was just so much going on throughout the entire weekend. And I mean, I said this to many people over the past few days. Thank God I wasn't racing the marathon because, um, one, I would not personally have partaken as much as I did over Mm -hmm. the past weekend. And if I had, it would have totally ruined my race. But there was just something going on every day. I mean, multiple things going on every day, different brands having activations, shakeout runs, other races. I ran the BA 5K on Saturday morning, um, just buzz throughout the city. The weather was, was really, really nice. And it just felt so great to be back in Boston. I mean, I was just there this past October. But after I mean, just Friday, like being in the city on Friday. Mm-hmm. And that's typically a, a quieter day. I mean, the energy was just off the charts. And looking back to last October, I'm like, oh, that experience actually felt a little bit muted compared to Yeah, you to mentioned that in your newsletter. I read your newsletter year. recap of it. And, and it seemed like there was a distinct difference in terms of how hyped people were over it yeah. being back to the kind of classic Patriots Day Monday experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the race itself having a bigger field, I think this year was Mm -hmm. closer to full capacity where last fall was reduced. The BA 5K, I mean, that had 10,000 runners on its own Saturday morning. Yeah, huge. I mean, absolutely huge. I mean, for those of us who were finishing near the front, Mm -hmm. as we were coming back into Boston Common, there were runners still going out. We had 200 meters left. They were 200 meters into the race. So wow. they're still funneling runners through as the the top runners were finishing. So it's a pretty big race in its own right. I mean, that's a big road race no matter how you slice it. Um, and then everyone who's competing brings in you know, family and friends and mm-hmm. supporters. And um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was just a, a fun, fun weekend. And I hope we can get you there next year. I will, I'm going to make a point of it, I feel like, to be there next year, no matter what, in whatever capacity, whether that's for fun or for interviewing, or maybe I'll run the 5K or something like that. I feel like there's got to be a reason I'm, I will get myself out there. I would love to visit the the Tracksmith house, like the Tracksmith track house. Like mm-hmm. I have always wanted to go there uh, in person. I see so many photos of you all, but tell me about your race. I loved the pictures of Allie, who was like a <laughs> proud running mom taking your photos. It was it was really, it was really great. <laughs> I I had a lot of people sending me photos after the race, and from a couple different people, I got photos where Allie was on the other side of the road. Someone <laughs> sent me a video from behind Allie as she was um, yeah, taking a photo or, <laughs> or video of me, which I thought was hilarious. But uh, the race itself was a, a lot of fun. It was great to be a part of it. Um, my one complaint with the BAA 5K is they hold you in the corrals for about 20 minutes before the race. I mean, they do that oh, for the marathon yeah. as well. But whereas in the marathon, that's not so bad because you're like, all right, well, I'm just going to ease into the race anyway. I got 26 miles. I don't have to be like right on it once we get started. Whereas in a 5K, if you're racing it, which I was, I mean, you kind of just got to get after it right away. And I felt like I was starting from a you know, like a cold yeah, start, you go basically. From standing to just like sprinting. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like you know, you go from like resting heart rate all the way up to you know sky high heart rate in a matter of like a couple hundred meters. Especially like near the front, you're just trying not to get trampled, and you get a couple mm-hmm. turns there at the very beginning. But I never felt great during the 5K, but I raced well. Um, I probably went out a little bit too hard for myself and ended up in no man's land. And I really felt the wind out there. Um, there was one point. Mm-hmm. When we were coming back, we were probably two and a half miles into the race, and I could see a guy a few seconds ahead of me, 
and I noticed he did this little like jig to the right, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then I passed that same cross street, and I got blown to the right by oh my this, gosh. <laughs> by this by this breeze. Um, it was pretty it was pretty windy out there, but um, I fought hard the whole way, and I was rewarded with a fifteen fifty nine five k. So yeah, just snuck congrats. under sixteen. Thank you. Um, I felt if I had backed off a little bit just because I wasn't feeling good. I probably would have run like 1610 or something like that. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that my my reward was getting a 1559 instead of like a 16 something, even though I, I think I could have gone a little bit faster, but I got no complaints at all. That's awesome. It looked like a great day. I have always wanted to run that 5K and I, you know, Next I've year. actually, yeah, I've never, I've not been to Boston since I was like a teenager. Yeah. I I went to Boston a couple times. I've only been there like a couple of times. I mm. went for a college visit when I was in high school. Um, my best friend uh, from just my childhood went to Boston College. So I visited mm-hmm. her in college. And then of course I would hit up the Harvard Yale game every so often, but I've never uh, experienced the Boston Marathon in person. So it's just, it's been something that I'm like itching to, to get to. <laughs> but, All right. So next year, if nothing else, run the 5k and experience it in that way because then you can just have fun the rest of the weekend but the 5k itself like anywhere else it would be a huge road race i mean ten thousand people and the people come out for it i mean there are all the people in the city anyway many people who are running the marathon going out for shakeout runs and it's a loop course that just runs down newbury street and then you come down boylson street actually cross the marathon finish line and the people were out like cheering and just going crazy and it just has has a great energy to it like the whole weekend did and um you know i think it's just a a fun way to you know race on boston marathon weekend without the stress of a marathon on monday looming over your head the entire time yeah yeah i know my dad wants to run it too so if i can convince him to (laughs) to head out there in retirement (laughs) yeah yeah he'll he'll go if you're there (laughs) but i feel like he's keeps mentioning like i would really love to run the baa 5k so maybe me and him will both get a chance to run it uh hopefully next year the year after but yeah, that'd be awesome. So I went from that to the track house, led my shakeout run from Tracksmith, which was super fun, met a lot of readers and listeners of the morning shakeout at that run, ran a good chunk of the shakeout run with Allie of Allie on the run, uh, which was a ton of fun. She had a show there later that day. It was, yeah, it was just a really fun, fun weekend. That's awesome. And let's talk about the elite race. Did you get to watch? I, I know you mentioned in your newsletter, I think you were cheering on the folks you were coaching. So you didn't mm-hmm. get to see the finish line, right? <laughs> That's right. Before we get there, however, I need an update from you. I haven't talked to you yeah, in a few weeks true. now. And <laughs> I don't really know what's been going on in your life. So fill me in. Yeah, I'm I'm trucking along. I think anyone who listens to my podcast knows I've kind of been in and out a little bit on hiatus because I'm wrapping up a bunch of different fun things for the second half of 2022. So I'm having to make a bit of a sacrifice right now in the springtime, I think. Um, as most people know, I am planning to run the New York City Marathon. So I'm kind of in conversation with New York Roadrunners about some cool some cool programming and just stuff we might be able to do, especially since the marathon does fall in uh, Native American Heritage Month. So I'm kind of, I feel like I'm thinking 10 steps ahead, but I'm having to take a step back right now, focus on getting my work done for my day job too. Of course, this is uh, actually the time of year that most students are making their college choices. So I'm sure if there's anyone who's like a family, a student or a parent that is listening, they probably can commiserate a bit in terms of stress if you are a college admissions professional or educator that between April and May students are dealing with a lot of different emotions, a lot of different feelings, they're hearing back from colleges and and that can just bring up a lot of a lot of questions for families and that's primarily right. what what I do is I I support families through that process, particularly native students and families and so we're working with them on their financial aid packages, we're trying to make sure people have an opportunity to visit campuses, you know, despite 
what's happening still with the pan ongoing pandemic and also financial limitations. So my life right now is kind of consumed with a, a lot of college admissions, professional type of stuff and uh, advising people, you know, within my day job. But I am excited because the Boston Marathon flurry kind of got me back on the mic a little bit. And hopefully I'll be bringing more regularly scheduled episodes out with some of the native runners that did the Boston Marathon this past week. And there was an awesome team team that was put together by Native Women Running of all Native women who, who kind of competed that day for a cause and, and they were running for things from land back to missing and murdered indigenous uh, people. And so I, I feel very motivated to have those conversations and excited to be setting those up right now and hear from some of, the, some of those people. So that's it. a little bit about me. I'm running right now. I'm kind of slowly, like I was saying, coming out of the winter still, I'm able to run a little bit more consistently now. I'm kind of like nursing some I have like an ankle impingement um, that's just left over from all the stuff I've been experiencing for the year. It's not too bad, but it's like every run has to be very intentional, very thoughtful. I am running, but I'm like, okay, I have to ice and stretch and roll out in these very meticulous ways. So it feels mm -hmm. like running is taking a lot of time right now because I can't skip anything. I can't just like hop out there and then come home and take a shower and forget about the stretching half. Um, so just kind of getting through that a little bit and getting used to it. But my body feels a little more. I'm not like walking as much. Like I feel like I can run consistently now um, and helping helping my partner too because he's currently training to hopefully run the Boulder Boulder in May. And so my family is going to be traveling out there, as I've mentioned a few times. And so somebody in my house is in training, which is kind of nice. <laughs> I was just going to ask if you were still on track for Boulder Boulder next month. I may I may skip it because I think I'll be running the New York Mini 10K, which is a week later. So okay. I was like not sure if I was going to try to run both and just do one for fun and one more for myself, um, you know, running wise. But I, I might just hold my partner's bags for once. <laughs> I feel like he's held my bag enough times <laughs> and had to take care of my stuff enough times that, you know, I've always wanted to, I really like spectating races and I don't get an, a lot of opportunities to actually cheer on my dad. My sister will be running. She's actually going to not be done with her quarter, uh, at Stanford at that time. So she's going to have to travel to us and then go back mm -hmm. to school to take her finals and stuff. But we're, we feel like it's important that we're all there. So she's training for it. She is like going to run it full out. I think for one of the first times she's done it a few times, but has never really done training in a serious way before it. So I kind of, I'm kind of feeling like I might cheer them on this, this go around with my mom and then, and then prepare for my own 10 K a little bit after that. I love it. It'll be a fun family affair. Yeah. I'm excited to go to Boulder. <laughs> I have to ask, this is a dorky coach question, but I know you appreciate those. How will your sister fare coming from Stanford, sea level, going up to altitude? Because in years past, I mean, she's never really went for it, like you said, at Boulder Boulder, but she's not coming from Albuquerque, and I got to imagine that's going to be a little bit of a shift. It is. Yeah, no, she's probably going to fare. It's probably going to be a little tough, but to her credit, she's been running what they call at Stanford the dish a lot. Mm -hmm. So she's been running like straight uphill at times, like her running course that she took that we talked a little bit about last time pushes them into different locations and areas and she she finished that course in quarter but she's been carrying on a lot of those same training habits since it so it kind of kicked her off in a good way like she came she came into everything with a good base and foundation so it's kind of fun because my whole family has Garmin so we're very big on right I remember uh, we've talked being, about this being within the Garmin app and so I see her and my dad are pretty meticulous about marking their training runs like as what number training run they're in so it'll say like bb10k training run seven like it, they'll really like get into their captions and it's just us we're super private on our family garmin like i don't add people on my garmin but uh but it can see my family members there and so we'll like each other's stuff and see where she's running and it's it's just fun it's a fun thing but i think she is going to struggle i like to think that we grew up at altitude so we can always be at altitude hopefully we're configured a little bit differently just in the sense that we've spent that's you true. know, at least a couple decades of our life here developing altitude lungs. <laughs> um, but I used to struggle with that coming from Connecticut. Sometimes I would race the Boulder Boulder in college and it would be a difficult task for me for sure. I would try to get a couple runs in 
at home before heading to Boulder. She will not have the luxury of doing that. She will be in school right up until it and they have to go back. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, I'm also excited for Reed because it's uh, Reed is my partner and he has only ever run one 10k before I believe and mm-hmm. um he's run very few road races he did not grow up running or um his family did a lot of cycling but but his running experience mostly came since he met me in the past 10 years and and he kind of has gotten into it through my podcast journey and listening to, he has to listen to interviews every week so how could he not become a running fan uh because for sure I'm like hey give me some feedback on the podcast so I know he kind of gets inspired just even though it's it's not really his his quote unquote thing. I feel like he actually has found a lot of joy in it, and so yeah, it's kind of part of the family now. It sounds like it's becoming one of his things, which is <laughs> yeah. awesome and super exciting. Well, next month on Common Ground, we are going to have to get the Dormy Family Race Report from <laughs> yeah. the Boulder Boulder 10K in Colorado. I'm excited to hear how everyone does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Shall we transition to talking about the Boston Marathon? Yes. I, I'm i so excited. The, Where do you want to so start? <laughs> well, I think for me, like I mentioned at the beginning, it was just a really powerful broadcast because I got to hear, obviously, I'm a huge Kara Goucher fan, mm-hmm. and it was lovely to hear her reflect on the 50th anniversary of women officially competing in the race. And I've also had the privilege of interviewing Catherine Switzer in the past for a panel that I did on women's running history. And to just see the kind of domination in the top 10 of so many women of color. And I know we'll talk about the race in a second, but overall, I think it was a very fun and also like emotional thing for someone who follows women's running. And it was just cool to see, but I woke up and as I was trying to work, I had to work on Monday. So I had to put the broadcast on while I was, while I was trying to like do stuff on my computer and do get my job done. I had this broadcast up and I was freaking out over the women's race. I didn't get to see it happen as it was unfolding because I was out on the course supporting the athletes that I coach, but I was able to watch the highlights on Monday night. I still haven't watched the entire race, but the women stole the show. I mean, that was a (laughs) phenomenal race. I mean, just the, I mean, certainly the, the last mile battle between Perez Jepchichir and Ababel Yoshine, I mean, was, I mean, was reminiscent of Caroline Kalel and Des Linden in 2011. It was reminiscent of Sammy Wanjiru and Kibete at the Chicago Marathon in in 2010. Mm -hmm. Just like one of those finishes I will never forget. Seven lead changes in the last mile. I know. I was going to say in the last like five minutes. Yeah. Everything that led up to that too was just really exciting because there were a lot of women in it for a while. Um, And then you had Jeff Tuchir and then, I mean, Jocelyn Jepkuske, uh, who were really the ones instigating a lot of the, you know, the the initial moves. And I was like, something's going to happen here. Something's going to happen here. Uh, and I mean, it was just so fast. I mean, it was just so fast. I mean, to 221.01, 221.05, two of the faster times ever run at the Boston Marathon. I mean, the times I were mean, very fast. You had to run under 222 to get in the top four. I mean, that's never that's happened. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally nuts. And also, when I was watching them in that last little push, one thing that I could not get over was it looked like Yeshine missed almost missed a turn. I could I was like I noted that in my newsletter. I like gasped when it happened because I read sitting next to me had no idea really what was how close it was. I think when you mm-hmm. if you don't spectate maybe often, it might look like this is something that's normal that's happening all the time, you know, or they're kind of going so much faster than we think they are. Or we're perceiving them on TV. And I'm like thinking to myself, this feels like the finish of a track race. Um, and when she almost missed that turner, I don't know what happened, but it looked like she just drifted to the other direction. And I was like, did she almost miss that turn? And it really, she almost missed that turn. Um, it was kind of wild to watch that and you can see just the replay, I mean, highlights of the women's race on YouTube, but they show the entirety of that last mile. And that was when she was taking, not even she, she and Perez Jepchichir were taking that right onto Hereford. 
and then right. left on Boylston after that. But as they were taking that right onto Hereford, she looked like she kept going almost <laughs> yeah. straight, which she yeah. would have, I mean, she would have run into a fence and like throngs of people. Like there's not, <laughs> there's okay, not like good to know. A, I couldn't see there. on TV and I've yeah. never run it. So I was like, is that some sort of ongoing road? How, no, I no, feel no. Like that's the, a she corner. must have been able to see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a corner and there's hmm. gates there and, it's probably six to ten people deep right at that corner. It's really, really loud. Wow. Like yeah. you you would not mistake that for going straight, but maybe I mean she you know, she just has, zoned out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eight hundred meters to go. I mean, probably not getting enough oxygen to her brain or something like yeah. that. It's her first time running Boston, so she doesn't know the course that well, even though it's pretty obvious. That's that's where you turn. And then looking at Jeptich here, I mean, she almost like she was like is she not turning? All right, I'm yeah. taking the inside lane. And she, she got she a little step. Quickly. And then Yeshine like made up that ground very quickly. But you could mm-hmm. tell, or I could tell anyway, at that point, just looking at body language, who the more confident competitor was. Mm-hmm. And it was Perez Jeptichir at that point. And they still like traded the lead a few more times going down Boylston Street before Perez eventually pulled away. But yeah, that was an odd moment. That was like one thing that stood out to me in the last mile just because – it was so obvious the way that they had the camera on her that um, not that she missed the turn. She eventually ended up taking it, but that she was like just yeah, drifting. kind of yeah. drifting. She was kind of out of it for a second. And then the other part was just how frequently she was looking at her watch in the last mile. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because she's not as familiar with miles and maybe she had her watch set to kilometers. So she wanted to see how far she had left to go. Um, if she was looking at her pace to see hmm. if she was still running as fast as she thought she was. I, I have no idea, but I was really like baffled by that because they were just neck and neck trying to knock each other out really. And usually when you're in that situation, the last thing you're doing is right, your, at your eyes watch. are on the prize. You're not like yeah. looking down at your pace still. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I feel like that must, be kind of a little bit of a coach's eye because to me I I know how talented Jeb Chichir is she is like a legend at this point in the marathon already but I felt like she really gritted it out like to me she mm-hmm. was the one who was actually maybe like working a little bit harder in her body to get to the finish and that's why she kicked it in but even I think even Kara Goucher on the commentary was saying like Yeshine looks so comfortable her knees are high like I think to me I was like yeah she looks like she's got this in the bag and then and then it ended up being that she was out kicked a little bit but it mm-hmm. was kind of a it felt like a, a bit of a gritty kick there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Yeshine is a much smoother looking runner yeah. <laughs> and former half marathon world record holder. I mean, this was arguably the best marathon that she's mm-hmm. ever run. I did read something after the race where Perez said that was the hardest marathon that she's ever run. And it wow. looked it. And yeah, it, I it mean, did. she was working the entire way, but at no point did she not look confident to me? Um, She looked confident in the surges that she was throwing in. She looked confident covering the moves, but she was, I mean, pretty much at the end of her rope at that one. I mean, Yeshine took her all the way to the tape. And I mean, that's just one of the, I mean, maybe this is recency bias, but one of the great marathon races finishes of all time. I I agree. No, I I had so much fun watching it and I loved seeing their camaraderie earlier in the race. I know a lot of people have pointed out that uh, Jeff Chuchir basically handed her water Mm -hmm. before she took water herself. And I love those moments in women's running where you see these close competitors and and you see these moments of sportsmanship where you know that they kind of can't get through that experience without one another. And I think it was Jeff Chuchir that said, I love my competitors because they get me through these races. Like you Mm kind of can't do it alone and they make it more exciting. And so I think there's a really... There's like a beautiful message in there, and that's always something that makes the end more exciting and more fun. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. And I don't know if this is a purely Kenyan thing or if it's even just call it East African, but when they talk about their competitors, they don't compete against other people, they compete with. And oftentimes they don't even use the word competitor, they use Mm -hmm. the word colleague. And what do you Mm -hmm. do? You work with a colleague, you don't work against them. And for me, hearing that in multiple 
interviews just has really flipped my perspective on what competition is. And we compete with each other, not against each other. And the way that you just described it, that's exactly what they were doing. I mean, they were competing with each other. They were getting the best out of themselves, which in turn brought the best out of the other person. And that's why I think we saw as great of a race and as exciting as a finish as we did on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a big fan of a lot of the Kenyan and Ethiopian runners, like pro runners. My dad has also been Mm -hmm. obviously following so many of them over the years. And I think what I see in a lot of their interviews is so many parallels to how indigenous people in North America also value running and how Mm -hmm. it's very rooted and grounded in community and it's all about running for other people much more than yourself there's always something bigger there even if it's something at this point that you are professional getting paid to do right and you're you're hoping to come away with a win with for many different reasons professionally i think there's still you're still built in those values like as an indigenous runner myself i think that's always going to be what's in my head first and foremost when I'm running. And I think that's why it's, it it is so fun to see those women competing at such a high level. Cause to me that, that feels like, even though they come from a different place, it's a different type of representation of like our values out Mm -hmm. there. And that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Can we talk about third and fourth and further back in the women's (laughs) top 10? I mean, for me, I wrote a little bit about this in my newsletter. I was really excited to see Mary Googie on the podium. She ran 221.32. I had the opportunity to interview her in New York in 2019. She is just the sweetest woman. And I think she is the most underrated marathoner in the world right now. This was a huge personal best for her, almost four minutes. She ran 221.32 on the podium at Boston. And I really believe it's only a matter of time before she wins this race. Um, She knows the course really well at this point. This was at least her third time Mm -hmm. competing here. And I mean, any other year that would have won the race. But I mean, you've got Perez Jepchichir who is... I think the greatest female marathoner in the world right now, she's won the Olympics, New York, Boston Boston. (laughs) in the past, I mean, what is that? Eight months. Um, (laughs) Those three races, she's won five marathons in a row. I mean, mean, there, I mean, I'd love to see her and Bridget Koske go at it again, but I don't think there's anyone better right now. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, more often than not, I mean, with the race that she ran, Mary Googie would have won the Boston Maryland. And I think it's just a matter of time before she actually does. But shout out to her in third to round out the podium. And then right behind her. Queen the, Edna. <laughs> the ageless Edna Kiplagat, 221.40. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many times she's run Boston at this point, but a lot. And she was second last fall. And she broke her own personal best time on the course, not her overall Mm -hmm. personal best and her own masters shattered her own masters course record, which she just set last fall. I mean, I'm speechless. I'm just speechless. I I love Edna (laughs) Kiplagat. I mean, she is going to go down as one of the greatest of all time, Mm -hmm. um, but still like one of the best in the world at 42 years old. Completely. She, you can tell she just dominates the roads with so much experience and that she has, she's so comfortable there. It Mm -hmm. looks, it's like a, it's like a walk in the park for her to jump into these races. And I think it was, um, in the fast women newsletter where it was mentioned that, that she kind of nudged Mary along and said, Hey, let's go get them. Like let's, they're, they're really not that far ahead of us. And they, they kind of bridge some of that gap over time and, and cut that down to, I think it went from, almost like a 60 second lead to a 38 second lead or something like that. And it's just so cool to see her out there as a leader and someone who has so much history on these courses. And it's just, I'm, I am always left speechless when I see her too. I'm just like, wow, what an incredible career that she's still doing amazing. And that was like one of the fastest times she's clocked there. And it was just so, it was so, so nope. cool. It was, it the was fastest right. Time okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. There. That's amazing. <laughs> And that's what I meant. I mean, she's raced Boston at least half a dozen times yeah. now. Yeah. Um, wow. And I mean, she was second last fall. This field was way deeper. I mean, mm-hmm. no London Marathon this spring. So Boston kind of, you know, was got, the place to be. Yeah, yeah, it was the place to be. It kind of got all the big names. I mean, Tokyo was not that long ago, but Boston drew a 
much, much stronger field on both the women's and men's sides for this race. We'll talk about the men here in a bit, but I'm just like going through the top 10. I mean, Nell Rojas, favorite of both of ours, top (laughs) American for the second year in a row. I mean, she ran 225.57, significant personal best for her, and she was 10th. She was 10th, and she ran under 226. I mean, that is insane. I know. insane. I mean, most other years, that's top five performance. Yeah, the times were were absolutely insane, and it was really good to see Nell come back around. I she I know she was quoted saying that you know the first time you run this it feels lucky, but the second time around you're like, okay, I'm in it, I'm here, you know. And I think that just showed how much she's growing as a runner and how confident she is in herself mm-hmm. and her choices. We I think a lot of us have seen the news that she did break her her contract with Adidas to run and and kind of in her own in her own selected shoes. And, and she, I think she's finding her confidence in place in the, in the industry and as a pro. And it's really cool to see her on the starting line and to see her do so well. I'm, I'm such a Nell Rojas fan. I love watching her run. I think she's such a strong racer and yeah, it was a great day for her. Yeah. Really solid day for her and going into the race. I mean, and this is to, to no fault of her own. She did win an Olympic medal and she ran the best New York City Marathon ever by an American last fall. But Molly Seidel mm-hmm. had a lot of attention on her, I think carrying a lot of weight on her shoulders. Unfortunately, had to drop yeah. out just past 16 miles with a hip impingement. She is going to represent the U.S. at the World Championships just three months from now. I was talking right. to someone about this yesterday and I was like, oh, she's going to run the World Championships later this year. I'm like, no, no, no. That's three months from now. So not that far away. I think she made the right call to call it when she had first like quote unquote bad marathon that she's ever had, but she also has this incredible opportunity to represent the United States later this year it was not worth risking injury. I actually had coffee with a coach John Green this afternoon. He oh, cool. said right now looks like that you know, she was able to jog just a few miles mm-hmm. the other day, and he thinks she spared herself from serious injury, but that's kind of where she was heading with that. So wow. seems totally like the right call. But with all the attention on her, I mean, she had her own motorcycle on her during the race. It took a lot of the attention off the other American women. Mm-hmm. And Nell in particular, who was the top returning American from last year's race. And I've got to imagine that, I mean... Nell, even though she was a top returning American, she did the interviews. People knew that she was getting attention, but she wasn't getting quite as much as Molly and was probably better for her to just kind of slide under the radar a little bit and go in and do her thing because she wasn't the one that everyone was focused on going into it. Yeah. That being said, Nell's with given her amazing performance, they did not give her a lot of airtime on the actual broadcast and, and kind of I guess, shout her out in that last half of the race. And I think I, I just barely saw glimpses of her. I feel like I don't think it was it, like you said, it was kind of not, not as much fanfare. Um, so I do, I would love to see a little bit more of that for Nell, but I do think sometimes that stuff can be distracting. I saw that this week, Molly Seidel's making a lot of changes as well to like how she posts her own training runs on Strava, which I find really interesting for so many different reasons from ranging from safety to not, wanting to deal with just having to share every detail of every training run and create that kind of environment for herself. So I think she's adjusting to all of this attention and figuring out how to make it work, you know, for her and how to maintain some of her own privacy and her own training and decision-making. Yeah. And it's a lot. I mean, if you look at the trajectory of her success. She's always been a very strong competitor, but it wasn't until she made the Olympic team that people really started to pay attention to her as a Mm -hmm. professional runner. And then running a solid London marathon when the Olympics got canceled, then getting an Olympic medal, then running an incredible New York City marathon. And every time that she did something incredible, she got more and more attention, which was all very well deserved. But when it comes in that short of a period of time, I think it can be a lot to shoulder and to learn how to navigate all of that while you're still trying to focus on your training, protecting your privacy, having some kind of life outside of just putting in, you know, 140 miles a week or whatever it is that, you know, that, that she was doing. But I'm glad that 
she seems to have avoided serious injury. She's going to recover well from this, get things taken care of, and then hopefully have a solid buildup to the World Championships in Eugene just three months from now. Yep, I'm excited to see her there. Uh, before we move on to the men's race, um, I want to shout out another Masters runner, Melinda Elmore, Canada, was 11th, uh, 227.58. I think I saw that, uh, yeah. Right behind her was Steph Bruce running her final Boston Marathon. She's on her Grit Finale Tour, 228.02. And I don't have her personal best right in front of me, but I know it's 227-something. And I think she's within 30 seconds, if not even closer. She might have run 227 high of her all-time personal best. And she did it at Boston at 38 years old on her final not marathon, final Boston marathon, but final right. go around. Right. Her final year of competing, yeah. Of competing. And I mean, Steph's just one of the great people in the sport. She's been very open and transparent about her entire journey um, mm -hmm. and all the different things that, you know, she's had to navigate over the past few years from motherhood to this heart issue that she recently mm -hmm. learned about. And I am just so psyched to see her running as well as she is knowing that this is kind of the end of the road for her. Mm -hmm. I love, I love that she's kind of taking this victory lap and, and pushing herself to have mm -hmm. fun through this. And I love how transparent she is. I follow her on all social platforms. And like you said, she writes about so many different topics and sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes it includes things like grief or family loss as you're a professional competitor. And it's, it's awesome to see her, find a way to kind of use all of these different emotions and channel them to, to pull off some of her best times. Mm -hmm. On to the men's race. Yes. <laughs> you'll, you'll have to take the lead on this one. Cause I was, I was working a little bit as they were <laughs> going through that. I was like, I was like, once I got through the exciting, I was kind of just keeping my tabs on the exciting women's finish, but I did catch some of the men's race. Yeah. Not as exciting as yeah. the women's, but exciting nonetheless. I mean, Evan Stibet of Kenya just ran an insane four miles from 35 to like 41K, 42K basically to the, the finish. I mean, his last four right. full miles were 427, 426, 426, 437. Wow. Um, in there was a 1355 5K, and he won right. by 30 ish seconds i think 30 mm -hmm. seconds exactly and he put those 30 seconds on the field from 35 to 40k it I was did a see the very surge. yeah yeah very strong statement watch the recap on youtube and the camera angle that they had for that was kind of from behind and you actually can get some good perspective on just like how quickly they accelerated and it's really incredible camera work and they're together and then they're not and yeah. he just kept like pulling further and further and further away and it's not like the guys who he was with were running slow he was just running like that much faster really um, fast yeah yeah i mean he was basically running 10 seconds a mile faster which at that level at that speed is significant um and it showed very very quickly so he was a bit of a surprise winner for some people but for me, like looking at the lineup before the race, I thought Jeffrey Kamawar was the favorite. I mean, mm -hmm. New York City Marathon champion, incredible cross-country runner. All the reports going into the race were that he had a quote-unquote perfect buildup. And when he does that, he's very, very hard to beat. Had an off day. I mean, right. he did finish the race um, in 18th place, which I give him a lot of credit for. A lot of guys of his level would have dropped out once yeah. they realized that they weren't in contention to win, but he stuck in it, finished 18th. But I knew going into this, just given the depth of the field, I mean, there were a, a number of like 203, 204, 205 marathoners who just aren't very, very recognizable. Evan Tibet being one of them, at least to mm -hmm. the mainstream audience, who are just very capable athletes. And on... A course like Boston's where there's no pacer and it's a racer's race, anything can happen. We've seen it multiple times over the years. So while he wasn't my pick to win the race, I'm not surprised that he did right. win oh, the yeah. race. He, he's he's got a deep field, yeah. Yeah, he's got those, those kind of skills. Um, put in a very, very strong move. Well-deserved victory for him 
Lawrence Toronto in second, and then Benson Kipruto to round out the podium. But again, like we were talking about in the women's race, Nell was 10th. 225 57 that normally gets you in the top five i mean looking here i mean we've got in 10th we've got uh kinde atanawu from ethiopia ran 209 16 wow i mean that <laughs> ordinarily gets you like fifth or sixth at yeah. boston this year it, this year it got you 10th um wow. i mean you know there were there were two behind him who also ran under 210 and they were outside of the top 10. So another just like very, very deep race. And what was also interesting too was, you know, first, second, third, pretty spread apart, I guess. I mean, only six seconds between second and third. But then behind that, I mean, you had fourth place, 207.53. Then you go back to like fifth place. You got Eric Kiptanui, 208.47. Behind him, Albert Career, 208.50. Behind him, Scott Fobble, 208.52. Behind him, you got Jamal Yamir, 208.58. I mean, that is like tight racing. Those are pretty close um, together, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is like very, very tight racing. Um, and while it wasn't as an exciting final mile from a drama standpoint as the women's race, love seeing great racing at Boston. Deepest field, I think, in race history. And it was super cool to... I mean, just be on the sidelines and watch them run by, even though I didn't get to see it finish in real time. Um, but awesome, awesome year for the Boston Marathon. And on a number of levels, it just felt like it was back to full strength. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I'm going to go back and watch watch that the, the end of the men's race on the broadcast because I realized I didn't catch that. And I don't think I realized how close together they were in that top 10. <laughs> yeah, it was it was tight. Uh, I'm going to show my American bias by shouting out Scott Fobble. I was going to ask if you were going to shout him out. <laughs> I mean, I got to shout him out, one, for just bouncing back. Yeah. Three years ago at this race, he ran 209.09 and got a lot of attention for it, rightfully so. And then, quite frankly, and I think he would admit to this, struggled for three years. Had a sub-210 performance at the Marathon Project, but wasn't quite – you know, what you would have expected out of him, given what he did at Boston in 2019, had a rough Olympic trials, split mm -hmm. ways with Hoka Northern Arizona elite right. at the end of last year. And coach Ben Rosario has been training with the boss group out of Boulder, has chosen to go unsponsored since then. And really just to see him come back to Boston and bet on himself and run a tactically brilliant race he ran 104 26 through halfway 104 26 the second half that's moving up incredible. from 22nd place to seventh wow. and that is just great racing on the part of scott fobble really say reestablish himself as one of america's top male marathoners and just good to see him back that's awesome. What is your What are your thoughts on the two the two top Americans in Nell and Scott being unsponsored runners and and kind of coming through the line in in their own clothes, right? Their own choice of shoes. Like that's been such a topic of conversation this week. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for both of them because they I shouldn't say chose to go unsponsored, but chose to break their contracts for their own reasons. In Nell's case, it was because the product didn't work for her. In Scott's case, I don't think he's talked about it publicly, so I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it wasn't like Hoka cut him. He got out of his contract so that he could pursue another direction, and that's hard to do. It's hard to make a living right. in this sport. Contracts are not easy to come by. I mean, by just thinking about Nell, by forfeiting her Adidas contract, she forfeited whatever bonus she would have gotten for finishing right. in the top 10, for being the top American finisher, for, you know, possibly running under 226, because oftentimes those contracts have time bonuses in there as well for mm -hmm. different races. She didn't get any of that um, because she chose to end her affiliation with Adidas before the race. And she knew that. It's not like she, she didn't yeah. know that, but, you know, she had to do what was best for her. Scott had to do what was best for him. And I respect them both for that. Totally. But, and yeah. And you made, and who knows, like you can't, you can't 
talk about something that didn't come to fruition or didn't happen. But, you know, she, the shoes clearly didn't work for her. Like athletes are also trying to make sure they're not being injured. They're not, mm-hmm. who knows if she would have come in the same place and had as comfortable a run. Um, and I think that's the ways that she's betting on herself, you know? Yeah. But I, I have seen and heard some of the narrative since the race about, oh, two unsponsored yeah. runners. How are they they not sponsored? Well, they chose to mm-hmm. not be sponsored. And I think both of them knew that if they knocked it out of the park at Boston, which they did, it's only going to make them more valuable to a potential yeah. sponsor. Yeah, and for sure. And I can't say this with firsthand knowledge, but... Both Nell Rojas and Scott Fobble are much more valuable to potential suitors after the races that they just had at Boston than they were going into it, even though they were very well accomplished in their own rights going into it. Agreed. Wow. So interesting. It is. It is super interesting. Uh, and a lot of this stuff isn't talked about because most of this stuff is hush hush and, yeah. <laughs> you know, on the on the quiet side of things. I mean, it wasn't known about Nell's situation until the Friday before Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. I know everyone's been whispering about like what they were wearing and they both rubbed Tracksmith. So that was <laughs> they something did. that i They I've both seen. had Tracksmith bottoms on. Yeah. Scott had a Lululemon <laughs> singlet. I think Nell's I think Nell had a Lululemon top, top a Lululemon as well. Lululemon yeah. <laughs> both of them had Nike shoes on their feet. Um, so. Yeah not being bound by contracts. They were free to choose whatever was best for them. So it does open up uh, some interesting discussion, which maybe at some point we can have that down the road. But back to the men's race real quick before Mm -hmm. we move on to other topics. Also in the top 10, I shouted him out in my newsletter. I'm going to shout him out here because I have not seen anything about him. But Elkanah Kibet Ninth place, second American, 209.07. He was fourth mm-hmm. at New York last fall. He ran a two-plus-minute personal best. Um, shout out to him for second straight top 10 in a major. Big personal best. And, I mean, this field was way deeper than New York was last fall. It's not yeah. taking anything away from his fourth-place finish there last fall. But, you know, Scott's getting a lot of attention, as he should. He has a history with the Boston Marathon. But I want to I give Elkanah Kibet credit where credit is due ran a phenomenal race and second american at boston and two american men in the top 10 that's awesome anything else from the men's race jump out i don't think so i think i think you about covered it um yeah what else do you want to cover today should we talk a little music sure of course always (laughs) i've been holding i've been holding on to this um since the last episode of Common Ground, because since then, the Red Hot Chili Peppers new <laughs> album has dropped. And I mean, you, it slowed like down recently, <laughs> but you were on the receiving end of many, many texts from me um, about the new Red Hot Chili Peppers album. And I've got to say, I love it. Um, the album's called Unlimited Love. I love it too. It's great. Um Again, I don't fans, know. It's for the fans, Mario. It is for the fans. I don't know if <laughs> it's recency it. bias or anything, but I just like, I love the album. Um, there's just so many, you know, from Black Summer, which was the first song that they released, to Let Him Cry, which is probably my favorite song. I was going to ask, do you have a favorite track? Is it, yeah, is it Let it's It? Probably, it's probably Let Him Cry. Um, These Are the Ways is really good. Um, I've just, I've been listening to it like on repeat for the last month and I'm not sick of it yet. Oh, I've been listening to it on repeat too. Reed's a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. I've also been kind of hearing, I I don't know if you guys do this sometimes, but one of us will have a podcast playing out loud while, you know, someone's cooking dinner or cleaning and I'll hear it because I'm just in the vicinity of, of Reed in the house. And Mm -hmm. he's been listening to, uh, Rick Rubin actually interview all of the different members of, of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And it's been cool to hear them talk about like John Frusciante coming back and what that meant and how he's kind of falling back in love with the Red Hot Chili Peppers music through this process. And, and if you listen to the album, it's definitely for the fans. There's a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of old sound in it but like new lyrics you can tell they're a little older um but but it, it's it's a lovely album i loved it i like i think it's called what you thinking 
Yeah, yep. I like What You Think, and that's my favorite track. But it's also because Reed's always playing it because there's an amazing bass line <laughs> in the front end. And so now we're both obsessed with it. But there's a lot of good songs on there. <laughs> yeah, it feels very familiar, even though mm-hmm. it's a new album. And I, I think you were spot on. It's a lot of familiar sounds. I mean, having John back on guitar, I noticed it right away. I noticed yeah. it in Black Summer. I was like, yep, he's back. This is the Red Hot Chili Peppers that... I know and love and admire, and it goes throughout the entire album. So uh, it's my still my my favorite music of the moment right now. I love that there was one point you texted me. You were on your way. It was it was shortly after we recorded the last episode, but you were on your way to run a track, track meet. meet. <laughs> it felt like high school again. I was like, hey, I was like, Danae, this feels like high school again. I'm on my way to a track meet listening to a new Red Hot Chili Peppers album. It's like 1998 perfect. all over again. That really captured the moment and the the sort of aesthetic of this album, I feel. So yeah, I'm I'm happy for you, Mario. Well, thank you. Anything coming up that you are excited about or want to plug? Hmm. Good question. Like in running or generally? Both. Hmm. Well, I think I May is kind of sleepy for me. It's just going to be continuing some work. But Reed and I are slowly but surely starting to get our wedding planning rolling. We've been putting that on pause for like two years now it kind of feels a little crazy that we got engaged around the time you and i met um and and time flies yeah we actually we got engaged on the day that they decided to announce the tracksmith fellowship so Mm -hmm. reed was like oh my gosh he was (laughs) i had no idea he was gonna propose to me that day so it was hilarious because i was sharing the tracksmith fellowship like crazy on my social feeds because i had just been announced that i had been one of the recipients so i'm sharing it i'm like wow what a cool day and i think he was like really tracksmith you really had to upstage me (laughs) today of all days uh but yeah it's been it's been a couple years because we we got engaged in the middle of the pandemic and so mm-hmm. we didn't really get to celebrate uh, with anyone that night. It was it was a little it was interesting. I'm so happy that it happened the way it did because it gave us this really personal space and time to get engaged and have it feel really personal. It was just like us and a photographer, and um, and then my mom and sister were waiting for us nearby. But everything had to be spaced out, so we spent so much time alone. But now I think we're starting to come out of that a little bit, and and allow ourselves to think about it. We've really just put it completely on hold, especially given that COVID has hit uh, Native communities, particularly the Navajo Nation, so hard that even Mm -hmm. though a lot of people have gone back to large crowds, large gatherings, being unmasked, I cannot, with a good conscience, host a wedding, you know, and especially on my tribal homelands. And so for us, it probably will be two weddings at least, um, just to get married in Albuquerque, but also one for our, for our Navajo families. And so I think we're just, we're starting to try to plan for that. And that's really stressful. We need to, we're also like trying to buy a car. So a bunch of different financial things happening in my life. Um, and then also, You're adulting real hard right I'm now. I'm adulting very hard. This spring has been a hardcore adulting reality check spring of like, okay, I cannot always do it all. I have to like pick my priorities and figure things out and figure out what I want to spend my money on, what I want to spend my time on. I think um, it was just I needed a little bit longer of a break from the podcast than I had thought I did. Like, I think I really needed to, to sit with the fact that I'd been working two jobs for a year. Um, and, and now I'm, I'm trying to just get myself organized and that's what spring is for anyways. So I feel fine about it, but those are exciting things that I'm just like kind of excited to get that process started. I'll probably realistically still be like a year or two away, but it's nice to finally start dreaming about that and, and getting the ball rolling on that with our families. Um, and then secondly, I am, I'm pretty sure I'm going to look for a coach. I think I need to have a little bit of accountability and stability in my training process. I've talked um, on here on our podcast a couple of times about how I'm in and out of it. It's been a little bit hard to manage on my own to stay consistent. I've never been this far out of my own running. So I think, I think I need something a little bit more structured. Usually I'm good coaching myself, asking my dad for some tips or a training Mm -hmm. schedule. But I think I need someone who who can specifically work with, A, a runner of my pace, B, 
be a woman of color and see someone who is coming back from injury. I've never really had to do that in this capacity and I'm, I'm getting there, but I feel like for the first time I need some help. And so I'm coming to the conclusions, again, adulting very hard, <laughs> coming to the conclusion that I think I could probably benefit from that type of structure right now. So that's where I am. So if anyone out there wants to be my coach, let me know, hit me up. <laughs> now, I'm not saying this to pat my own back by any means, but most people listening to this know that I am a coach. And I know we're going to get an influx of comments that say, Mario should be your coach. I'm already Danae's mentor. I don't think for... You would hate me. Our relationship that we should do that. But I am happy and willing to advise you in the process of finding a coach for yourself as you prepare for the New York City Marathon. Yeah, no, I think that's probably best for our friendship that you don't be my coach. <laughs> We're on the same page. Just See, to get that out there. Yeah, well no, together. I already knew. I was like, no, you, you're, you'd be like, Danae, you need to get up and go for a run. <laughs> I'd be like, Mario, I'm tired today. <laughs> well, um, we can, we can continue that discussion offline, but that's exciting. I mean, yeah. just making that commitment and that investment in yourself to have that extra accountability and guidance in working towards something that you've never done before in running that's a marathon is, is going to be that's, I've never hugely done valuable. It. Yeah, that's the that's the piece for me is like everything I've ever tried, I've had some experience in. And I know I'm an experienced runner, but this is just a totally new adventure for me. And I feel like it's getting a little closer, right? Like I need to really start figuring it out you know, with prob I'm probably going to need to give myself over 20 weeks. And so mm -hmm. I think I'm I'm kind of like starting to panic a little bit. And I think I need someone who can be in regular communication with me and just give me some perspective. Like also my dad is just not a, not a woman, like he's not a, you know, a woman, a woman in running. And so like, there's also not that you can't be coached by someone of a different gender, but I think my whole life, like I, I'm like, you know what, I would kind of like to be, maybe have somebody who understands what I'm going through with my body right now and things like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking for a coach. We'll see what happens. I have some ideas. We can talk about it offline. Okay. Sounds good. What about you? What's what's up for you this coming month? Well, it'll have happened by the time this podcast comes out, but I am really looking forward to Christine's Ironman this weekend. It's been a long time coming, and I'll set it up like this. Many of you may have listened to the episode I did with her last year after she did Ironman Coeur d'Alene. It was hotter than hell that day, 106 yeah. degrees, highest DNF that. rate in Ironman history, but she finished and after finishing or in the days after finishing, she had mixed feelings about it. She was proud to have finished, but she really didn't get to race the Ironman. She right. just survived it. Because she didn't get the, the day she wanted. Yeah. Yeah. The weather conditions and her hope, I mean, in that race, I should say, let's rewind a little bit more, was a deferral from the year before. 2020 when everything got canceled oh. she turned 40 and then she signed up for Ironman Santa Rosa for her 40th birthday it's close to our house she hadn't done one in 13 years so on and so forth that got canceled they don't do Ironman Santa Rosa anymore so she deferred chose Coeur d'Alene heard good things oh about gosh. it got a 106 degree day <laughs> finished it left feeling like you know kind of unsatisfied and was like uh, and talked to her coach and he was like well he's like why don't you to Sacramento at the end of the year. It's a little over an hour from your house. It's a flat course. You can race it and then be done with Ironman. Well, mm -hmm. day of Ironman Sacramento, we had a severe weather event here in California. Oh the my race gosh. got canceled, so she did not have the opportunity to race it. So she had to defer to something this year, and she's not able to do Ironman Sacramento at the end of this year due to a scheduling conflict. So she had limited options in the spring and she chose Texas, which by the time this podcast comes out will have happened this past weekend. But as we're talking right now, it is two days from this conversation and I'm excited to be there with her and watch her race and hopefully get the opportunity to stay on the gas the entire time, have the race that she has been training so, so hard for these last few months and then on her terms, be able to walk away from Ironman and say, yeah, I'm good with you and move on to do other things because that's really what she would like to do. So I'm looking forward to that. And then before 
we record the next episode of Common Ground, I will have had a birthday. So Woo! I am looking forward to my 40th birthday in May. We're going to have a little celebration at close friend of mine's house. I've been helping him work on his backyard to get it ready for the celebrations. One of my best friends is coming into town from Colorado. He's going to spend, you know, four days with us, which I'm really looking forward to. haven't seen him in a few years at this point. So I am excited for my upcoming birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday early right now. Thank I'm you. sure I'll tell you when it actually happens as well. <laughs> and and also happy recent anniversary to you and Christine. Thank I, you. I know you also just celebrated an anniversary. Nine I years. Hope, yeah, that's amazing. I, I hope she gets a great day because it sounds like it's been years in the making for her Ironman. So um, definitely good luck to her. <laughs> yeah, we've been saying third time's the charm. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's there you go. <laughs> so that's the attitude we're taking into it. Well, thank you for this conversation. I love recording this with you. Thank you to everyone for listening and we will catch you next month on Common Ground. Yep. Catch you later. All right, that's it for this third installment of Common Ground. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. Also, a big thank you to both New Balance and Gooder for making this episode possible. If you're looking for a go-fast chew for workouts and maybe even racing, look no further than the Fuel Cell Rebel V2. I absolutely love this shoe. It's lightweight, it's low to the ground, and it's incredibly lively. It is just so fun to run in. It's available in both men's and women's sizes on newbalance.com or at your local run specialty retail store. Check them out and give them a try today. Gooder sunglasses are my favorite shades to run in, drive, walk the dog, and pretty much anything else that I'm doing outside. They don't bounce, they won't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, they're super affordable with most pairs coming in at just 25 to 35 bucks a piece. If you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or two or five of Gooders and head over to Gooder dot com slash mario and use the code mario 15 to get 15 percent off your entire order before we wrap up i'd like to give a shout out as always to my man john summerford he's produced every episode of the podcast and is the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out also thank you to chris douglas for being my right hand man and handling sponsorship sales and jeffrey stern for managing the am shakeout social media accounts I don't have a big team here at the Morning Shakeout, but these three guys have been crucial in helping keep things running smoothly here. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and on behalf of Danae Dormy, this has been another episode of Common Ground. <laughs>